Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Romans 12, 3 through 8. So the last time the message was titled Body and Mind and kind of really cool how God, you know, when you become a Christian, you start to read the word and God helps us to understand interactions, how we're to behave with each other, with society, etc. So, you know, this is going to be like a four part series. Uh, we actually covered, and we do take some things that are in the world, and we cover them, and we say, well, how does this fit into the plan? So uh, apparently I asked by a show of hands last Sunday how many heard the song Hotel California, and almost every, by the Eagles, every hand went up. And there's a lot of speculation about what the lyrics are, but the truth is, from their perspective, and that they had to kind of do it veiled initially, is they were talking about the entertainment, the Hollywood, you know, the whole industry, how it sucks you in, you can't get out, you know, it's it's a whole fleshly thing, uh, the whole world system. So check that out. If I piqued your curiosity, you can get it free off the, uh, off the website. Today, the message is titled, We, Not Me. We, Not Me. And really, in a sense that as we go through our lives as Christians, uh, the Lord has formed this really organization or body of believers called the church. We can also say the church is, is sort of an organization, but how do we fit in? as we and not necessarily a bunch of individuals running around in society. So we're going to look at that in three parts. And before we jump in, we have our tradition in the book of Romans. Uh, Romans 1 speaks about God's intricacies and handiwork in the natural world, uh, things that were not known when Darwin was around and put his theories out there. But now we've studied these even insects and rodents and mammals for so long that it's, you, couldn't, you, couldn't put some, you couldn't engineer something like this. It had to be definitely a God thing, and it certainly wasn't due to evolution. So one of my favorite mammals this morning, and from some of you are probably going to go, ew, it's the bat. I love the bats. You know, the, not to be confused with the dingbat. Um, I, maybe I like them because of their acrobatics. Sorry. Um, and some would say I have bats in my belfry. So now that I move that all out of the way, let's talk about the bat. So the bat, two things very notable about the bats are their flight and their hunting abilities. As you can see from the video, uh, it's, they seem to go through the, through the atmosphere effortlessly. The Mexican free-tailed bat has been clocked at 99 miles per hour. That's pretty fast for a bat. I guess he couldn't break 100, but 99 is still pretty special. Uh, Their wings, now this is an amazing thing. As you look underneath, they have this patagium, which is a thin membranous tissue that covers their forelimbs and their, what I would say, uh, comparison to humans is their phalanges, their digits. So it's almost like they have really long fingers, and this patagium uh, covers that, their back, their forelimbs, and all the way down to their hips. Uh, the patagium, or their wings, on the backside have what's called Merkel cells. These Merkel cells are all over the wings, and they're constantly, they're constantly detecting airspeed, air pressure, airflow, atmospheric pressure, and it's translated to the little bat brain, and they're able to do things uh, through the, uh, the atmosphere that even birds can't do. So the flight is very noticeable. 
in addition to their flight is their hunting abilities. They, they use what's called echolocation. A lot of people think that the, the term blind as a bat is actually a misnomer. Bats are not blind. They're geniuses. And what I mean by that is when the bats are in the cave, they can't use their echolocation because there's too many bats. There's thousands of them. And the, the frequencies would be bouncing off all over the place. So they were designed in a way that when they're in the cave, they use their eyesight so they don't bump into each other. Once they exit the cave and they're out into the night, they use what's called echolocation. What that does is they emit a very high-frequency noise, which is in the range of 24,000 to 100,000 hertz, which is well above human hearing. Now, they would make themselves deaf and probably crazy if it weren't for the fact that in their middle ear they have a, a membrane that closes when they chirp. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Once they chirp, the membrane opens. The sound waves hit the moth, as you can see this one going for the moth. It bounces off, and due to the Doppler effect, which is scientific, the compression of the waves makes the sound faster, the ticking, and they can determine how close that bug is, that meal is, <laughs> to their little mouths. So pretty impressive. Um, you know, listen, if this all didn't come together at once instantaneously, the bats would starve and there would be no bats. So I think we, you know where I'm going with this. Um, yeah, so I, I'm very fascinated by them. I mean, they're pretty much flying rodents, uh, but they're pretty cool as far as I'm concerned. And, and there's so much more to that, but, you know, this is kind of our series with the, the complexity in God's simple creations. So now we're going to jump in to Romans 12. And he says in verse 3, the Apostle Paul, For I say through the grace given to me that to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So one out of three is responsibility towards society. So the first two verses last Sunday were responsibility towards God, the most important Really, these few verses are more towards responsibility, how we interact in the church. The next time we are together in Romans, we're going to talk about responsibility basically throughout society. And then the last section in Romans 13, one of the last sections will be our responsibility towards government. Um, how do we live? Well, God prescribes it right in his word. That's why it's important to study it. So responsibility towards society. Uh, the layers here, society... And the church, it's a team concept, not individuals or loners, right? And I think, listen, we talk about these, sadly enough, uh, crimes, shootings. Uh, you, they're finding out that a lot of these people doing it are loners. You know, they're, they're, they, they're, they're not plugged in in any good place. You know, God has designed us to be a society, a community, and that is an aberration. So he says in verse 3, to everyone who is among you. So when God's word is written, uh, some Christians kind of have the attitude that, like, I'm exempt, but according to the scripture, there are no exemptions. This is for all of us. Verse 3, not to think so highly of ourselves, to be humble, to be sober. In other words, to be realistic about who we are. You know, maybe you have friends on Facebook and, you know, people do this. It's almost a depressing thing when they look at Snapchat and social media and they think, everyone has a better life than me. Come on, a lot of this stuff is choreographed. You know what I'm saying? It's a thing. You know, I, I got to show the world that I'm, uh, everything's perfect in my life. And those things are just often not true. But when it comes to this being sober about who we are, who really are we? 
We have our pluses and minuses. We have our good days and bad days. I mean, these all are facts. But there are some, unfortunately, and, and this is what ruins churches, that have an attitude of pride, of haughtiness, or uh, what I would call a critical spirit. And that's a sad thing. Critical spirits in the church, they pick people apart. They pick apart their appearance. They pick apart their speech, and nobody wants to be around them. And just to give you some encouragement, I mean, critical spirits, unfortunately, make their way through different churches. They also pick apart the leadership. You know what I'm saying? What I usually, my response is, well, you can do everything great here. You step up to the plate. Why don't you do something? Oh, no, no, I just, God put me here to criticize you. It doesn't work like that here. You know, go move on, go somewhere else. Uh, But it's an interesting thing to look at. Verse 3, at the end, he says, to think soberly as God has dealt to each one, to each one of us as believers, a measure of faith. Now, in other words, if we understand that our faith is not because we're wonderful, because we've manufactured our faith, but God has imparted to each person a measure, right, of faith. Who can measure it? God can. I don't know how in his empirical way he does it, but he does it. It's a spiritual thing. So when we understand that everything we have, including our salvation and our ability to have eternal life is from God, we become hopefully more humble and less prideful. Prideful people are either, and I've seen this on both extremes, they're dealing with uh, a severe insecurity, so they have to cover it with pride, or they uh, are very or or they have a delusion about their greatness. Either one is not a good thing. To each person, a measure of faith. Stop pointing fingers. Be a part of the solution that God has given every person. Verse 4, we continue. For as we have many members in one body, now watch the parallel here. The Apostle Paul is going to make a parallel between the physical body, and we're going to see this in 1 Corinthians, uh, and also the body of Christ as a church. So in this church right now, there are, everyone has these incredible spiritual gifts, and they're all diverse. And when we're working together, maybe at a function, we all get to use those gifts, right? And we all don't have the same gifts. We see that in 1 Corinthians 12. So he says, for as many members, as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. So I'm going to stop there. Two out of three is if you really want to do something great, use your spiritual gifts as a team with other believers to serve the living God. You know, there are sometimes faces of ministry where it's one person. And I, I don't know, it's, I, I try not to be too critical, but see, I don't want to be critical. But, you know, when you, when you have a church van and the pastor's face is on the side of the van and everywhere in the church are, is his picture in a different pose, it almost becomes a situation where he's like the celebrity. You know, I had a, a, an, even another Calvary pastor who ran across our website and he started listening to the message. Usually Calvary chapels, the pastor, senior pastor teaches Sundays and Wednesdays. So he said, oh, I'm going through the website. You never know who's going to be on your website. And he said, you have your elders and pastors rotate on Wednesdays and you rotate the last Sunday of every, the last Sunday of every month. He goes, how gracious of you. And I'm thinking, I'm not gracious. 
I got to be blessed by Pastor Paul on Wednesday in his message on Job. There's a lot of good counseling in that message. So I get to sit back at times, and my face is not the face of the church. That defeats the idea of a diverse body of Christ. I'm trying to get Pastor Sam to come up here more. See, I'm embarrassing him. Bust his chops after service. Come on, Pastor Sam. We got to get him up here. (laughs) You didn't expect that, did you? <laughs> I see I can do that up here. It's pretty awesome. But it you know it's it, this is important. You know, when we read the Bible, we either take it seriously or we say, "Well, I'm going to do it my way." I prefer to take it seriously. Let's read 1 Corinthians 12 12 through 27. Parallel scripture. The apostle Paul says, "For as the body is one, He just spoke about the different gifts, the diversity of the gifts of the Spirit. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Now watch this. He makes a transition. So, you know, Jesus did this with the parables. The disciples are like, well, I don't understand the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus would go through all these earthly examples and make a parable or a parallel and a parable. And that was the best way. Of course, he's the son of God. It's good to follow in his footsteps. When we understand spiritual things and we're having trouble, it's always good. And you see if people are doing it right, they kind of start with a physical explanation which we all know because we live here in the physical and then he you make the transition to the spiritual so now he's going as if each person in the body in their diversity is like a different part of the human body he says verse 15 if the foot should say because i am not a hand i am not of the body is it therefore not of the body and if the ear should say because i am not an eye i am not of the body is it therefore not of the body if the whole body were an eye well that would be weird uh, where would be the hearing if the whole we're hearing where would be the smelling. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, think of your feet. I mean, how many people are real feet people? You know what I'm saying? I mean, they take the abuse, they get the arthritic joints, they get the surgeries. Okay, enough. Uh, But you get the point here. How important is the feet? How about when you get a foot injury and you can't walk and you need crutches and you can't do all the things you enjoy doing? You realize, boy, my feet are really important. The big toe. Even smaller part, man, that big toe is so important to me. It's really giving me trouble right now. And I'm just starting to appreciate that big toe because now it's broken and I can't get around that easy. Think about that. So those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need, but God composed the body which having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So the the human body that God made with the brain controlling the central nervous system, isn't that an amazing thing? 
It's kind of like inanimate. If you're, well, it's animate, but inanimate in a spiritual sense. Because when you're born again of the spirit, it's really not the body that's important, but the spirit and your uniqueness and your, your mind and all that kind of stuff. However, the human body, which is not going to last when you die and go to heaven, even that thing runs itself very efficiently and appreciates the other parts in it. The endocrine system, the immune system, they all, you know, the reproductive system. All these systems in our body work together. The brain controls body temperature, heart rate, uh, respiration rate, all this stuff without you having to tell it what to do. So even the body, which isn't going to last, that God made, an incredible machine, does things and works together, sadly, sometimes better than people work together with each other. Think about that. Think about the simplicity there. So the body knows that when one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. But sometimes people in church don't have that same mentality. It's like me first, or I want, I want. And then churches fail, and then doors close in churches, and then they sell it to a bank or something like that. So wisdom in the scripture. Last one. Now you, believers, are the body of Christ and members individually. Amen? The message this morning is we, not me. So we start to put all these things together. The eye, the mouth, is not better than the foot. The preacher is not better than the teacher downstairs right now in the children's ministry. The voices on the worship team are not better than the person after service at the info counter. Right? Um, I remember one time I was informed that there was a guy running the church and, you know, he was the pastor. He was also the bishop. He was also the teacher. He was also the spiritual gifts imparter. And I, I'm thinking to myself, you're like a one-man band. We don't need anybody else in the church because you're like an octopus. You could do it all at the same time. But that's, that misses the point, and it starts to develop pride. And I tell new believers, pray about what your gift is. God will reveal it to you. And then rejoice in that gift and use that gift. Every single person here, when you came out of your mother's womb, whether you realized it or not, had a physical ability that other people don't have. The beautiful thing is when you're born again of the Spirit of God, and you're born a second time into the spiritual realm, God gives you spiritual abilities that some people will never have. Uniqueness that he imparts in you. That's the beautiful thing. As One of the great things as a new believer is to is to pray and talk to other Christians and say, what is my spiritual gift and how can I use that? And then when you, you know what it is and it's revealed to you and you hone it, it's an exciting thing. Good stuff. So here's the blessing, but also the challenge and seeming paradox of all this is we as believers work as a team, but we maintain our individual identity. We don't lose that. We become Christians we lose the me first mentality, which is important, while not losing our uniqueness. You see how these things can happen at the same time. And that's the problem with, and I've seen a lot of articles written on this, when people come into a church and they, they come in really with an attitude. And their attitude is, what can this place do for me? Like, you guys have to sell yourself, you know. What's available for me? Instead of thinking, how can I, I like this place. The word is, is taught, the, the worship is, is genuine. People are friendly. You know, you're praying to God. How can I be a part of this church? You see the difference in the idea? 
I read, um, I did a lot of studies on churches. I've done some consults for churches that that have been in trouble. And on average, it only takes seven really difficult people to crash a church, depending on the size and other demographics. Only takes seven. (laughs) So, yeah, Um, it it happens. It happens. And and you, you drive by or you hear about or the doors are closed on Sunday and you wonder what happened. The consumer mentality, you know, when we go to Toyota or Ford or whatever, BMW, I don't care, you, you want to know from that salesperson how that, you, sell me this car. But when we go into a church, that shouldn't be our attitude. The, the physical needs to shut off and the spiritual needs to take over. Is the spirit in this church? Then I want to be here. Is the word taught? Then I want to be here. What can I do? How can I be a part of being a foot or a toe or a little pinky finger or an ear? You see what I'm saying? These are just real life applications of what the scripture is saying to us. Verse 6, continuing on in Romans, he says, Let us use those gifts. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So three out of three is these are practical, they're pragmatic examples of how we use our gifts in the body of believers. Well, we find it here, Romans 12, we find it in 1 Corinthians 12, if you read the whole chapter. We also find it in Ephesians 4. So verse 6, prophecy in proportion to our faith. A lot of people, and again, they just go to the grandiose, you know, prophecy. Oh, you're going to tell me when the world is going to end. You're going to tell me what, you know, what's going to happen. Prophecy happens in two different ways. It's foretelling, and this is what the, what the prophets did in the Bible. They, they shared things that would happen that would even unfold after their death many years after that. So foretelling but prophecy is also forthtelling. Thus saith the Lord. What does God say? Pastor Joe, what about this subject? On the Q&A on Wednesday, here's, here's my pink card, Pastor Joe. And the pastors are here and the elders and we answer the questions. Well, what does the Bible say about this? And I see this in the news a lot. Forthtelling. You go back into the scripture. What, what's God's views on this? What is, he, what is his instructions? How do we act and behave with these sort of things? Forthtelling. And here's the important thing. Not every ministry has forthtelling. And what I mean by that is that not every ministry is guided by the truth. So foretelling is important, but forthtelling is also important. You know, and, and I, <laughs> I have a lot of people that are sending me articles so just about things that are happening uh, in Christianity, some of the wacky stuff, and I get bombarded. And some of the, some of the times I use them in my sermons. I, I vet them. I want to make sure it's not fake. It's real. And, uh, and we, we co- come to some, we see some bizarre things that are happening that are not reflected in scripture. So in proportion to faith, I would say this is that we also want to make sure we don't overstep what God is giving us. We don't overstep what God is giving us. I did it about two minutes ago. I'll probably do it again before the end of the sermon. And I do it almost every Sunday. I'm preaching, I'm talking to you, I'm reading the word, I'm discerning it, I'm deciphering it, I'm giving applications. And every once in a while I stop, I kind of smirk, look up, and then I keep going. Because I'm human, 
but I'm also doing a spiritual uh, office here. And sometimes a thought comes into my head. It's not a bad thought. It's just I think I should say it, and I actually check myself because I want to make sure that when I'm up here, it isn't my opinion. It's what does the Bible say and how do we apply it? So sometimes you'll see me stop and I'll smile. You don't know what I'm smiling about. But a thought popped into my head. I check it, cancel it, and keep moving. Because when we, when we do these things, we need to do it in proportion to our faith. Is God giving me that information or is that my own feelings and thoughts inside? My personal feelings up here are not important. And sometimes I'll tell you, this is my personal opinion. Take what you want with it. But when I tell you it's from the word, take it, take it to heart because that's important. So the flesh and the spirit vie for dominance when we exercise any gifts of the spirit because we're still human. Remember, there's, we're trichotomous. We're, there's our mind, there's our physical body, and then there's our spirit. And when we're using our spiritual gifts, the spirit needs to have dominance. But sometimes the flesh tries to take over, and that's where pride comes in. You can have somebody who's a great order and incredibly articulate, and they're leading people to Jesus. But they become so lifted up with pride that that starts to cloud the ministry. It starts messing things up. And then eventually God may stop using that person. Because now God is not the forefront. I got it from here, God. I'll let you know when I need you. Kind of attitude. So there's a lot in here. It's deep. You know, there's a lot in here. Now, I'm going to go through some of the opposites. And this is something I don't normally do, but, but I'm doing it. And the reason is because, especially with young believers or new believers, um, you need to know what doesn't look normal. So I read the word. The Bible tells me what looks normal. But God also shares with us what is an aberration, what is a dysfunction, right? So a person who is prophesying is, is good, foretelling, foretelling. Here's an aberration or an opposite or something that's dysfunctional or false prophets. The Bible tells us never to set dates for the so-called end of the world. It's really the new beginning. It's just the, you know, it's God's going to now be in control of the, the physical as well as what he's doing with us spiritually. Um, so you have, and you, you see it with, Har- you saw it with Harold Camping, you saw it with Jehovah Witnesses, you saw it with, there was just a lot of false prophecies made in certain time periods. They came and went, those things didn't happen. That's called false prophecy. That's an aberration. I, I don't know if you ask me, when do you think the world is, when's the Lord going to come back? And, you know, I have no idea. Because God didn't reveal it to me and he didn't really reveal it in scripture. And he says not to set dates. So guess what? I'm not touching that. You can find somebody who will, but I'm not touching it. So that's an, that's an aberration, false prophecy. The next thing we see is ministry or the Greek word diakonia, which is where we get the word deacon from. That word means, and this is an office in the church, it's a gift, it's, it's service, it's relief, it's ministering to others. Now, we all have some of these gifts in general. You know, just like evangelism, to some extent, we, we can all share our faith. Ministering, can we all help people? Sure we can, we should be. But there are some that are just, this is their gift. It's a pretty amazing thing. I mean, how do we serve God? Some people are just, they just, they want to make it their life's mission. Wherever there's a need uh, in the kingdom, they want to plug that need. They want to fill that hole. That's a great thing. How do we serve God versus our earthly boss? Well, some people, if they're honest, some people do a good job and some people don't. Well, I'm not getting paid. I'm being volunteer. It's a volunteer position. That's the, that's the wrong attitude. You know, uh, we have people in this place that they'll say to me, 
I'll, and I do. I want to. I want to appreciate people. Well, I'm serving. I'm serving the Lord. I don't take that as a slight. Oh, he said he wasn't serving me. How, how dare he? You know what I'm saying? Good. You're serving the Lord. So when I make an unpopular decision, you're still going to do a good job because you're not upset with me because you're still serving the Lord. That's a good. That's a good answer. <laughs> so I want to encourage you. You people say to me, "Well, I'm 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 frail. I'm elderly. I'm disabled. I have lim- limitations." If you want to serve, we'll find a place for you to serve, period. You want to serve? This is a really good time to plug the ministry applications over at the info table. You're supposed to laugh at that. Uh, so, but every believer should it in some way use their spiritual gifts. Some people serve outside of the church. It doesn't have to literally be in the building. You know, God uses people out in the streets to serve, and, and that's a great thing. But... You know, we're not looking for the coolest, the youngest, or the most relevant. We're looking for people who have a heart for the Lord. It's not a show. You know, we all can do something. Um, the opposite of ministry, right, is a person, and again, you'll see these people at times pass through the church, and they set a bad example. So the opposite of this gift is a person who's completely self-absorbed and self-centered. And they'll only do things if they can see if they can get a payback later on that person doesn't understand what real ministry means. Teaching. Teaching. Well, some make a big deal about what I do up here. Again, for reasons that I've expressed. But maybe I think it's a big deal that those two guys in the back and that big soundboard, I don't even know where the on button is on the soundboard. And they do, they're talking about filters, low filter during worship. I'm like... These guys just know so much about that soundboard. That's one thing I haven't tackled in this church. I've tackled most other things. So that's impressive to me. Maybe I'm impressed, not by myself. I'm impressed by people who adopt children. We have a lot of families in this church that have adopted children. That impresses me. So it isn't about, uh, you know, teaching is awesome. You know, here's an interesting thing. You realize that discipleship is teaching. Oh, I want to be discipled. What's discipleship about? Right now we're discipling. You know, I did a lot of study. I'm imparting this to you. And what I'm doing is I'm passing information. And discipleship is a lot to do with that. Usually an older Christian who's been down a road and been through the temptations, been through the trials, and somebody who's a new believer wants to sit with that person and says, I'm really struggling with my faith. What do I do in this situation? Well, let me tell you about my experience. That's discipleship. You're passing information from one person to the other. You're teaching them, sometimes without words, sometimes with words. Pretty neat stuff. The opposite or the dysfunctional form of this, which is definitely not scriptural, is the eternal learner and self-aggrandizer who doesn't share anything with anybody else. It's just an ego pursuit. It's more me, more filling my head, more degrees. And they never take that information and pass it on to somebody else. You know, we do a lot of Q&A here because, because somewhere in here is the next generation of believers. We do Q&A session on, on Wednesday night. We did it at the overnight. We do it at the men's group. We do it on Wednesday night. We do it um, actually Wednesday night. We're having, as I said in uh, the announcements, we're having our, another Q&A session. We do it with the young adults groups. And what we're doing is we're, people want to know. I, don't, I never understood this. What, what does the Bible say about this? And we, we help them pass that information. And maybe one day, 10 years down the road, they'll use it when they're in a leadership position. 
So it's good stuff. You see, do you see all this reflexivity? You see all this reflectivity, this back and forth, this bouncing of all the people in the church. Information is bounced and you're using your gift and you're helping that person and that person signed up and they helped you and you're encouraging that person. We're going to keep going with this. Encouraging, exhortation. It's good stuff. So that's the next thing, exhortation. That person encourages or urges other. In the, in, in the book of Acts, we were introduced to Barnabas, right? Barnabas, first century. He was the son. His name was son of exhortation. This guy was so full of exhortation that it was in his name, which is pretty neat. Check this out about Barnabas, and people do this. They go, oh, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul didn't look at himself like that. He did what God called him to do. So here you have a situation where the Apostle Paul is trying to work with this young guy, John Mark, who he messes up. And maybe he messed up a few times, and Paul says, you know, I can't work with him. So Paul and Barnabas, right, were kind of doing this thing with missionary work, and there's a, there's a, there's a dispute. And Paul goes, I can't use him. And, and I'm paraphrasing. And Barnabas goes, no, 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 we can, we can find something for him to do. We could use him. And their dispute was so divisive that um, they split. But this is a good thing. Watch this. So Paul takes Silas... And he goes one way, and Barnabas takes John Mark, and he goes another way. So God now, through this situation, got four instead of two. Here's the best part. As great as the Apostle Paul was, he couldn't work with John Mark. Barnabas does such a good job with this young guy, and maybe he screwed up a few more times. But Barnabas was just that exhorter, that encourager, that he does such a great job with this guy that Paul, later on in his letters, commends John Mark and says how he's useful for the ministry. Isn't that an amazing thing? Do you see how things come full circle? That, to me, is exciting. The Bible gives real-life examples of these gifts in use, and they're powerful. What if there was no Barnabas? You know what I'm saying? And, and the church was going through a difficult time with the persecution and such. God gave many people that gift of exhortation or encouragement. Good stuff. The opposite <laughs> is the proverbial, I saw a skit on this, the proverbial Deb, Debbie Downer. Mwah, mwah. Did I do that good? This is the person who, no matter what you do, there's, they're always finding a negative. Well, you shouldn't do that. You could get hurt. Well, you shouldn't be too excited for God. You're too heavenly minded and no earthly good. And they go through all these things. And when you're around them, it's like a black cloud. They bring you down. You see what I'm saying? So that's kind of, that's the opposite of the spiritual gift that God gives of exhortation. That's an aberration. The giver. The giver. This is somebody who, and you've met people like this. At some point you have to say, almost like, no, that's okay. Like they always just want to bless people. And it's usually out of proportion. It might even be for their funds. But they just, you know, Pastor Sam always says, you can't outgive God. He said that to me a lot. You know, and, and he's, he's, he's got a blessing and a, and a ministry that he and his wife and his family do. But they, he always says that you can, you can just never outgive God. If God has called you to be a giver, and it's not just even finances. It could be your, your time, your, your love, you know, even an ear. Many people in our society need an ear. They have nobody to talk to. So the person with get the giver who gives with liberality, with, with abundance. The opposite 
of a giver is somebody who's stingy. When I was a police officer, I must have gone to over 100 calls, and they were called unattended deaths. And you get to the place, and the person passes away in their home. Now it's a crime scene until the medical examiner, the detectives, and everybody can come in and make sure it was accidental. And you, you take inventory of the house. Is there anybody in the house? Are the doors locked? You, know, you monitor who comes in and out. I'm going to tell you how many homes I've gone to where beautiful cars in the driveway, extremely expensive, stuff hoarded in attics, expensive things all over, expensive furniture, and the person's gone. And, and you know, when I was a police officer, a few years into it, I became a Christian, and I would always kind of almost look up going, I would always take a mental note. So many people hoard so many things. They're stingy. It's all about themselves. And then when they die, it's still there. It's not like I walked into the house and everything went, it magically disappeared and went up in a cloud. It stays here. So stinginess, you know, it's, it's a sad thing. And I think it harms the individual. Other people only give after they've met all their toys and self-interests and all the things that they do, and they give God pretty much the leftovers. Remember Jesus at the temple treasury. Um, the disciples are there. They're watching probably many wealthy people put in, making a show of putting money in the box. And then there's a, a, a woman, an elderly widow, and she puts, ding, ding, these two little coins, which were called mites, which weren't worth anything. And Jesus said to his disciples, see that woman? She's given more than anybody else here. And they kind of like, you could imagine the disciples walking with Jesus. What is he talking about? You see that guy, what he put in, and that business owner? He said, they gave out of their abundance. She gave out of her, you know, scarcity. So, you know, how does God look at things and how do we look at things? A lot of stuff in here. A person who leads, right? He says with diligence or with eagerness, with earnest, with efficiency. To lead by example. Me personally, I wouldn't ask my staff, and you can take them aside and ask them if this is true, I wouldn't ask them to do anything that I haven't already done or wouldn't already do. You know, I mean, it was funny. We had, uh, you remember, out in the front with the, the backed up drains and the pipes. We were digging holes because the water was backing up, and it was, we were concerned it was going to go down into the foundation with the children's ministry. So we were all digging, digging these holes, finding these crushed pipes. And the rain was coming. <laughs> we were going to have a big mud pit. So we cut the pipes, and it still wasn't flowing. I just jumped in the hole, and I took my arm, and I reached into the pipe and pulled all this sludge and skank out of the pipe. And the water was flowing, and I was so happy. But one of the younger guys said, I don't know many senior pastors that would have done that. Now, folks, before you get the wrong impression, I'm not patting myself on the back. This is the standard. <laughs> There's no, no medals for me. I met the standard. Lead by example, lead with eagerness, lead with diligence. You ever go to a church or a ministry and they're just so miserable, like, and they're in leadership, they're just punching a clock. It's like, go swing a hammer or something, do something that you love. Obviously, this isn't for you. So if we lead, we should be leading by example. And folks, if you're a CEO or you're a, a, you know, a project manager or something in the world, you, you should really bring that to your, your, your earthly job and people will see a difference in you. And you'll, you'll show them Jesus just through how you lead. Not everybody should be a leader. Uh, mercy with cheerfulness. Mercy with cheerfulness. I'm going to raise my hand. Who has ever screwed up in life? Oh, I've got a bunch of normal people here. 
Who's ever screwed up after becoming a Christian? <laughs> well, a bunch of normal people here. I love it. Wow, I can, I can feel comfortable here, you know? Not a bunch of haughty, whatever. So isn't it nice when you screw up? Well, not that part. <laughs> and you run into somebody. I got to tell you something. Even some people in the world that aren't believers show Christians up with their mercy and cheerfulness. But it's really a cool thing. I remember in my formative years as a Christian, and I messed up. And I said stupid things, and I blurted. I was like Peter the Apostle. It would just come out, and I wouldn't think about it. And I'm like, oh, man. Ten people heard that. I can't take that back. So, So the interesting thing is that it's just such a cool thing. And I know for me that when I messed up in life, I mean, I was a young husband. I was a young father. I was messing everything up that I would have an older man or even an older lady, an older saint, and just kind of put their arm around me and say, you know, it's going to be okay. The Lord knows. You know, you didn't lose your salvation. You know, God can use you. And they just kind of like talk you off the ledge, so to speak. Mercy with cheerfulness. That is a beautiful thing. And I tell you, there's been in this church, in the sanctuary after service, in the lobby, on any given Sunday, there's tears, there's people hugging each other. And, man, that's what it's all about. Because in this culture, especially this culture, we need that mercy with cheerfulness. Because it's, even as a Christian, life gets tough sometimes. I know some of what you guys deal with and ladies when you go home, but I don't know everything. And I got problems too. I got trials that befall me and my family, and I'm not going to go into it. <laughs> but God is good. And, you know, Pastor Sam's a big hugger. He comes up to me, and he's got, for a guy his age, he's got a bear hug. He doesn't let me go. He goes, come over here. I just want to hug you. And I'm like, oh, Sam. But I love him. He's like my father in the Lord over there. Can you tell? Can you see the resemblance between the two of us? So, but that's, listen, this should be, this should be enjoyable. You know, it should be enjoyable. I, I've met people that have told me they're it's so sad, their testimony, and they say they just went to a church where it just there were factions and stuff, and, and I would hear people tell me I would get acid in my stomach on the drive to church. That's not the way church should be. And honestly, we could all do a better job. I could do a better job. Well, they weren't talking about our church, but I have to make that clear. But it happens, you know what I'm saying? We get into a spatter, but church should be a place where we can resolve conflict. And we see that in the scripture. So mercy with cheerfulness. Um, yeah. Run into all types of folks. I'll leave you with a, an illustration. We, not me. Teamwork. The gifts of the spirit. Using the gifts of the spirit together. I just love it when I actually am standing in the back and I'm hearing the worship music. And uh, Pastor Paul doesn't tell me, and, and I want it this way. He doesn't tell me, we're going we're gonna to do these four songs. I just get to come up here on a Sunday and say, I wonder what worship songs they're going to play. And then every so often I'm like, oh, that's one of my favorites. And I'll tell them, hey, that was, I really loved that song. So um, his gifts bless me. My gifts bless you guys. Your gifts and the people downstairs right now with the kids bless all of us. So I just want to give you an example, a simple example, using a horse illustration of we, not me. So there was a farmer, and he had an old blind horse named Queen. And in her heyday, this mare was quite a worker. And the farmer had a friend who came over, and he sees that the cart gets stuck in the mud. 
So the farmer has this idea of how he's going to help this cart or how he can get the cart out of the mud. He doesn't have the strength to do it. So he, he hooks Queen up to the cart and he says, now come on, Trigger. Come on, Bessie. Come on, Silver. Come on, Queen. Pull it out. And Queen's by herself and she's, and the wheels are moving a little bit. He goes, you can do it, Queen. You could do it, Silver. You could do it, Bessie. You can do it, Trigger. And all of a sudden, Queen gets the strength. And she, the wheels are turning, and she pulls the cart out of the mud. And the friend's watching this, and he shakes. He's scratching his head. He goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. First of all, who are all these imaginary horses that you're calling out to? And how did that old horse get the cart out of the mud? And the farmer goes, in her day... Queen loved to be, when she wasn't blind, she could see she would love to be working on a team. So if I can get her to believe that her teammates are still there, she still gets inspired and she used this super strength to pull the cart out of the mud. Pretty neat, huh? I'm sure that happens somewhere. But, but, you know, teamwork is important. I got to be honest with you. Not only could I not do this by myself, I wouldn't want to try it. I wouldn't want to try it. Folks, God has put this church, he's allowed this Calvary Chapel Crossfields to exist in 2019 in a very self-centered, me-focused part of the world. And, you know, all you have to do is when you go home, you you see it in this culture. Me, me, me first, my life, I'm better, I'm, uh, you know, I'm better than you, all this kind of stuff. And there's some ministries that are kind of falling into this to fill the seats, to make people happy when they come to church. That's not what we're supposed to do. Folks, God hasn't called us to be loners. He hasn't called us to think we could do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. He hasn't called us to look around and say, I'm better than all those people. He's called us to work as the body of Christ and to work as a team. And I think I've made that case. So I just want to bless you with that as we, as we get done for the day, just to see that We all need each other. And God has designed it so we all need each other, especially more in the body of Christ. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m., And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.